Welcome back to another episode of Established in 1990. And before I get into everything, I wanted to address where I've been, um, what I've been doing, and apologize for not providing and pumping out as much content as I probably should have. It's been amazing to me as I was um, going through and sitting down. I didn't realize it had been so long uh, since I had put out a, a an episode. <laughs> you know, I certainly knew it had been a while, but I didn't realize it had been over a month. And I definitely wanted to, um, you know, there's so much stuff that has happened so many things that have come out so many uh juicy topics to kind of um discuss and and uh go over and it just spiraled out of control i i just feel as though this mo- this year let alone this this uh the last like 4 weeks 5 weeks have just flown by you know part of that is i work full time i work as a clinician in a hospital I also work uh, part-time in a school doing um, therapy work. So I'm working over 50 hours. You know, very little time to, you know, I guess uh, devote to my uh, podcast. You know, and I I certainly will be, you know, pumping out more content. Um, I'll certainly be, you know, eventually transitioning the podcast to... Uh, YouTube and Daily Motion and you know other other platforms to to help make the show grow and I'm just I'm very hopeful um, you know I've been getting the numbers back the analytics uh, people have been listening and I, I'm just very um, excited about the potential and you know it's it's been really cool uh, and and exciting for me. Um, and it's really been an an experience being able to share my thoughts and it's almost in a sense therapeutic and i've you know been able to um you know ultimately get things off my chest and you know provide hopefully provide you know the listeners with uh, some entertaining content or you know, perhaps maybe um, challenging uh, people to think about things, uh, maybe perhaps in a different way. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm ecstatic about uh, the podcast and the way that it's grown and the amount of listeners I'm seeing. It's just overwhelming to me. So, um, you know, I wanted to take time out to to, to thank everybody again, to um, you know, make sure that, you know, I let it be known that there will be more content coming soon. Um, and also to, you know, remind everybody that, you know, you can get the podcast in a lot of different uh, locations. You can get the podcast in, um, on Spotify. You can get the podcast on um, Radio Public. Pocket Cast, Overcast, Castbox, Breaker, 
Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Um, so, you know, it's a, in a lot of different spots. Um, I know for me, I, I prefer, um, and this is just personally me, I'm not really an Apple guy to begin with, but I'm, I'm more of a, um, a, a Spotify guy. I have my, uh, my own account and I, um, you know, I actually pay for the premium account for Spotify and, you know, this isn't like an ad or anything. This is just me, you know, speaking as somebody who has been, um, you know, a, a customer of Spotify for a while now. It's, I'm certainly uh, satisfied. I listen to uh, podcasts. Um, I listen to, um, you know, music, albums. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, platforms. Hopefully, you know, I'm looking to get the, the podcast on, on um, uh, Stitcher. Uh, that's another platform that I really, I personally enjoy when, when I listen to podcasts, I enjoy, uh, Stitcher as well. And, um, yeah. So, you know, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, jrig24, uh, j-r-i-g-g-2-4, um, if you, you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I don't really tweet much, but I'm looking to uh, start using my Twitter more. Same thing, J-R-I-G-G-2-4. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm open to, to any potential feedback and, and, and ways in which I can improve the show, uh, different suggestions I can, I can do. Um, and yeah, so... Here it is. Enjoy. It's been almost two years since Donald Trump won uh, and became the president. Um, I can't believe how much time is flying. Um, it's just been remarkable to me. Uh, it, it's been, can't believe, two years have passed. And it is um, even more fascinating because the midterm elections are coming up in the next couple weeks. And right now, um, you know, we're at a crossroads. I think, you know, as a nation, we're at a crossroad, uh, not only for uh, non-Trump supporters, or Democrats, or however you want to um, associate that group of people versus people who are conservative or um, Trump supporters or Republican. I think it's, it's pivotal uh, for both sides, moderates, you know, if you want to include them as well. It, it's just a pivotal moment for this country. And now that I've had two years to look back and, and evaluate and, um, you know, getting a sense of what this presidency is going to look like and, you know, how, how the country was going to operate and how the country was going to function, the, the inhabitants of the country, it, 
has been a, a fascinating case study to me. And I think that, you know, I've certainly learned a great deal in this time period, in this time frame, um, in the last two years than I have in the last, I don't know, 26 years prior to that. <laughs> it's like, it's really just a, a fascinating uh, situation. So I wanted to, to spend a little bit of time just going over some of the things that I've observed, some of the lessons that I've learned in the last two years, and just looking back and, and learning from uh, the past um, and just, you know, just my observations in general. So the first thing that I was um, very, very aware of, and I think that it became apparent to me in, you know, definitely in the last two years has become very apparent to me. Um, but it's also become, you know, it was also pretty apparent to me during the Obama years, but it, I guess it wasn't as pressing. But more young people, you know, more progressive people, Bernie people, as you will, need to come out and vote in the midterm elections from now on. Whether Trump is in office, whether, um, uh, you know, uh, Trump's out of office, whether you have Bernie Sanders in office or someone who aligns with your, um, you know, political ideology, as, as a coalition, and, you know, I'll use young people as a big example, young people on average tend to vote more democratic. And of course, you know, there's variance as far as, you know, with race and age and gender and all of that varies. But young people, progressives in general, we need more of a concerted effort to vote in the midterms. Because we see now and whereas maybe before in, in previous uh, presidential, um, uh, you know, uh, administrations, the importance of the, uh, the, the, the legislative branch, the importance of local government, right? It almost serves in itself as a check, as a check and, and, and balance effect. And, you know, if you're just worried about voting in the, the presidential election and you forget about, you know, your local, uh, you know, your local um, elections and you forget about your statewide elections. I was reading an article I, I saw on Politico that Chuck Schumer, the, um, you know, Senate minority leader, he was responsible, him and, and uh, the Democratic um, senators, overwhelmingly, I didn't even realize this, 14 federal judges Trump appointed. 14. And they voted on them all. No fight. No, no, um, you know, no um, type of uh, action no type of awareness, 
or outrage in the media. 14, without just with the whimper, without a fight, without any sort of media, uh, uh, the, the, you know, media attention. Just like that. Trump appoints two Supreme Court justices, 14 federal court judges. And you see the, the total domination. Now, one could look at that and be like, well, that's just what the people want. It's democracy. If, if, that, if this is the case, if we have, you know, newly appointed, uh, you know, 14 federal judges who are now conservative, far right, two Supreme Court justices that are far right, making the Supreme Court a, a conservative majority. And, you know, every, you know, most of the governments, the, the, the governors in the, the country are Republican. You have the, the majority in the Senate. They have the majority in the House. And they have they own the administration. One could look at that and be like, well, you know, that's just where the, the people lie on these issues. You know, America is just a naturally conservative country and that's just the way it goes. But when you, the, the, when you look at the data, it just doesn't jive well. Because the data suggests that there is... Uh, you know, a whole it's it tells you that there is a whole lot more Americans are a whole lot more progressive on a lot of these these policy points that ultimately these people who are being voted into power are not aligned philosophically. Now, you could say, well, this varies on the, the country, of course, you know, uh, the red states and, you know, the south and the Midwest, more conservative places. You know, there could be a variance and, and you know, uh, certain, uh, you know, I guess certain ideologies that they're they're more in line with what you would perceive a typical conservative ideology. That's all well and good. But when you look at the raw numbers as far as the country and, you know, not just the, the quote unquote heartland or, you know, you're looking at the coastal cities you're looking or states you're looking at the whole country in its in its entirety we still have you know a majority on a lot of these progressive you know the way these these ideologies poll these these uh, policy points are still majority uh, progressive 90% of the american people for example were in favor of some sort of gun regulation that you know at the very least a background check now again i i don't know where that stands you know it, it's one of those things where it really just depends on you know you as an individual you know i hear a lot from progressives like you know their their you know key sticking points when it comes to gun regulation is the um it's a ban on high capacity magazines it's a a ban on assault rifles it's, um, you know, more of a permitting system when it comes to weapons, uh, psychological assessment, um, you know, background checks to make sure that you've never been convicted of a, uh, you know, you know, violent crime or that, you know, you have a long standing of severe mental illness that can put other people at, at danger or other people at risk. 
right? So, I mean, that tends to be more of the progressive stance on whatever, you know, gun control um, bill that may come up in the future. But nonetheless, at the very least, I know that 90% of the, the people, um, the American people are in favor of some sort of um, background check, right? You're talking about 70% of the people who are in favor of a universal health care system. 51% of, of, of Republicans or people who consider themselves conservative or Republican-leaning are in favor of a universal health care system. You know, you may say like, well, that's not really, that's kind of a tie, it's 50-50, but that's monumental. That goes to show you that it's such a huge, just overwhelming, like, just support for it. Because, you know, would the, the would universal health care be polling like that 25 years ago, 30 years ago on the conservative side? Absolutely not. And, and you know, it's only going to go up as, you know, the system that we have, the private health insurance system that we have is continued to be implemented. I don't see these numbers changing in any form, in, in any way, form or fashion. We already have, I think it was something around 80% of people who consider themselves to be Democrat or left-leaning are in favor of a, of a universal system. Last time I checked, and that could be a little bit higher. We have, uh, you know, legal marijuana, for example, recreational, another example, where the majority of the country want, are, is in favor of legalizing marijuana recreationally on the federal level. So when you look at some of these key points, these are progressive points. So you may ask, like, how in the world could, could these progressive ideologies, how can they be polling so well, yet we don't, we're, we're, we have um, so-called representatives that are so philosophically and ideology, logically uh, different or opposed. How can we have a country where you have a majority of people who are in favor of legal recreational marijuana and then get an administration in there who is, you know, uh, nominates uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general and his whole shtick is not only is it that we, we're not going to make marijuana legal federally, we're going to attack the states that have already made it legal. We're going to go after states that have made marijuana legal. Right. So how does that happen? And my answer to that is. You got to vote in the midterms. Young people, you have to go out and vote. You're pissed off because, you know, you want to do a woman's march and you're pissed off about, you know, these old white dudes, these conservative dudes that are out there. And to be fair, you know, people who are, you know, Democrats as well, who in the past and have had jaded history or history with, with women. And it comes out and it doesn't matter because they're still being voted in. And it's like, this is horrific. This is horrible. I don't want to live in a society in which I feel that, you know, not only is it that these men are not being punished, but they're also, you know, getting jobs. They're getting uh, jo raises and job opportunities on top of that. I don't want to live in that world. I, I'm going to march. I'm pissed off about it. 
I'm pissed off that in a world, you know, where, where a tape comes out like that, where Donald Trump is basically saying, and one could make the argument, well, it has nothing to do with sexual assault. And he says, you know, he, it was his words were taken out of context when he, you know, the, the, the E, um, the, the tapes came out about, you know, grab him by the pussy gate. One can make that argument. But nonetheless, I mean, it's pretty just it's just horrible in general, especially coming from a dude. And we all know how women feel about adultery. You know, it's like that triggers a lot of women like, you know, because a lot of women are like, you know, they get pissed off and they're like, man, you know, my uncle cheated on my aunt and I got cheated on. And I, you know, so just forgetting all of that for a second, just, you know, the, the, the crassness in which he spoke, you know, just makes it very hard to believe that he is, you know, he does. He thinks of women in a um, progressive or, you know, as a human being, it's just really odd. It's really weird. But when you get all that urge and you get upset and, you know, the, the conservatives make fun of you and call you sore losers and, and ah, you know, you can't win an election. That's why you want to go out and march and so forth. And they laugh at you and mock you. You keep that in mind when you decide that you know, I'm just going to sit home and, and not do shit, not vote, or I'm not going to find out when the, um, you know, voting is in my state or where, where, where we're voting, making sure I'm registered to vote, making sure that, you know, I have an idea of, you know, okay, what, what policies, what's going on, at least of the candidates. Now, one could argue that, you know, you're just going to vote anything with a D next to it. Same way in 2010, when the Republicans, uh, you know, uh, voted the, the Democrats out of power in the legislative branch. Nonetheless, this is, was, a, was a lesson for all of us, you know, because I can't imagine before this point, you know, for eight years, I had Barack Obama as, you know, pretty much my whole adult life, the fo the first election that I was allowed to vote in was the 2008 election for Barack Obama. So I had eight years. I had potentially four different opportunities to vote in the midterm elections. And I didn't. I didn't. Right. I, I, I was complacent. We have Obama in office and we we neglected the fact that when it comes to the uh, domestic policy, when it comes to funding for programs, when it comes to, um, you know, Supreme Court, Court justice dies and who's being appointed where, when it comes to a lot of these, these, you know, the administration that has a very, very big influence and power as far as the way in which not only are we uh, being portrayed overseas and the decisions that are being made overseas, but as well as domestically, that's all very important. And that, you know, the president is also an important job, but, you know, honestly, it wouldn't, you know, a, a Donald Trump presidency wouldn't matter as much to me if the Democrats Real Democrats, not Chuck Schumer type Democrats or not real Democrats, but 
progressive Democrats, I should say, because one could make the argument that Chuck Schumer and Dianne Feinstein are real Democrats, the old school, uh, you know, corporatist Democrats. But, you know, a new blood, Bernie Krat, Bernie Kratz, or people who are more aligned with that philosophically in power, a Trump presidency wouldn't be as bad. If you had the House, the Senate controlled by these people. Right. But that's important. My fear is that, you know, it's been oh blue, blue wave, wave. And all of these people that were pissed off in 2016. My fear is that, you know, it's almost like a paralysis of analysis or like, you know, people become so apathetic and their hope is just so completely damaged by this administration that they just are like, fuck it. They put their hands up in the air and they're like, well, you know, I'm just sort of like, I'm just indifferent. You know, I'm just so pissed off. I'm so annoyed. I'm so irritated. I've lost so much faith in the government and in our democracy as a whole that I just, fuck it. I don't even want to be bothered. I got my family. I got my friends. And that's pretty much it. I'm good. I don't even want to upset myself and get myself riled up. And you, you sort of see this with discourse when it comes to politics. You know, now it's like this hypersensitivity because of this perceived idea that everybody, this country is going to be torn apart. And you have people that are like, oh, you know, I'm not, you know, they'll say something. I'm not trying to sound political. No, 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 it's not political. No, 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 no. It's almost like people are just sort of burnt out. And my fear is that that translates over to the voting booth, that people become so apathetic and people become so burnt out that they're like, man, I don't even want to see uh, anything related to politics. And they don't go out and vote. So that's the first lesson I learned. The importance of voting in the midterm election. Second lesson I learned. I learned that we have to do a better job in general as a nation, but more so I'm speaking to progressives at calling a spade a spade and having a certain ideology and sticking to that particular ideology. Right? Because now I hear more and more about, like, for example, Trump and drone strikes. Right? You hear this a lot where it's like, oh, it's horrible and all these wars and you're hearing more of that from more progressives. Like, what are we doing? And my thing is, maybe not from corporate media, I should say, because, you know, when we bombed Syria, I remember MSNBC, uh, CNN, they were all, they loved, they loved it. You know, but, you know, again, we're told that uh, everybody's against Trump and it's all uh, propaganda against the conservatives that, you know, that's what we're told. Right. But really what it comes down to is, is money and it's and you know, corporate media comes down to is like, you know, the rich and whether, you know, it's it's Democratic propaganda or Republican propaganda. 
These are people that are, you know, these are corporations that have vested interest in basically keeping themselves and the people that they know in power. Nothing to do with, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, bias against some like a uh, farmer in Iowa. But nonetheless, you know, when when Barack Obama, when these drone strikes were going on and you know, we didn't hear that much accountability. We didn't hear that much denouncement from quote unquote progressives. All I heard was a bunch of excuses. I heard a bunch of excuses. Oh, well, you know, what is he supposed to do? And he inherited a mess from George Bush. And he, you know, how is he going to close Guantanamo Bay? And it's just, it's infeasible. It's impractical. And I mean, you know, it's like it, people bend it over backwards to, you know, disavow their, their progressive stance. And if you criticize them on that, well, you know, you're wrong for criticizing him because, you know, you're black or you're wrong for criticizing him because you have idiots on Fox News who, who are talking about his tan suit or talking about how he eats pizza with a knife and fork or that he's not born. He's, he's actually a, a Kenyan Muslim from the, the Muslim Brotherhood and you know, you have these idiots out there. So, you know, of course, when you bring a valid criticism, then it's like your, your criticisms being lumped in with, with Fox News's criticisms, right? So, you know, you can't, there can't be any valid criticism. That's, that's ridiculous. Or because, you know, you align more philosophically or he's, he's handsome or he's well-spoken. I don't give a shit. You know, Donald Trump is a, is a uh, you know, I would imagine is a piece of garbage human being. I, I, I don't know him personally, just the way he presents himself. He strikes me as the type of person I have no interest in, in ever meeting or getting to know in any form or fashion. Is he the, the only billionaire or businessman or tycoon, whatever you want to call him that's like that? I'm sure there are a lot of them like that. I'm sure there are a lot of politicians like that. Vapid and empty and all they're about is themselves and getting themselves in a position of power and money. And that's all that they're about in life. That's all well and good. But you, you have to, be, you know, call a spade a spade. Right. And we have to hold accountable even people that we may like personally or people that we uh, align with, you know, more or less, more so, we need to hold these people accountable. Because, you know, I don't know if Trump's going to win again in 2020. It's possible. But even if we get a progressive in there, we got we to gotta hold this progressive accountable. You know, we got to be like, listen, what, what's the plan overseas? Are we, are we keeping troops in Afghanistan forever? Are we keeping troops in Iraq forever? How many more interventions are we going to get involved in? Are we going to keep continuously pumping more and more billions of dollars in the uh, military industrial complex? Are we going to, you know, another hundred billion dollars? Another? Are we still going to continue to do business with Saudi Arabia as we know they commit uh, human rights violations up the wazoo? And pretend that, well, you know, we're going to overthrow, we're, we're, we're debating, uh, you know, uh, invading Venezuela. Or, you know, hey, you know, hey, if we overthrow, we go into North Korea and overthrow Kim Jong-un, he deserves what he gets. He's, he's a menace to his people. But, you know, as we do business, as we sell weapons to the Saudis that commit genocide in Yemen, we'll, 
what are, are we going to hold the, the, this president accountable? And if the answer is no, then we need to really examine and, and figure out our value system and stick firm to our value system. If we're anti-offensive war, then we're anti-offensive war. That doesn't mean, you know, anti-war in general. If obviously if someone attacks you, obviously if somebody is invading your country, you, you know, you're, you do what you got to do. But, you know, to, to go into countries and, and use the, the moral, you know, the moral, uh, almost like manifest destiny in a sense, is this sense of morality, you know, this vague amorphous idea of freedom. And, you know, you're constantly getting involved and, and, oh, this person's a bad person. But meanwhile, it's all just for profit margin. Then, you know, we, we, we have to figure that out. We have to figure that out. Right. So that's important. Third lesson I learned. Is that. You know, it, it kind of falls hand in hand with keeping our elected officials, um, keeping them, you know, holding them accountable, but also continuing to fight on the ground level. Coalitions. Don't become too complacent. Don't think that, well, you know, we, we've evolved, you know, from certain issues. Abortion, for example. That th this is a non-issue. This is, you know, we're past this. You know, locking people up in cages, immigrants, people that, you know, you have a good amount of these Republicans and conservatives that think that that's acceptable. Because, you know, human rights don't apply to you, even if you feel, even if they feel that, well, you know, that the, what they did was illegal and it's wrong and, and it's, it's, it's a message and it's just human rights uh, violations, the UN, all of these things exist for a reason. You know, you don't get to sit up there and, and praise Trump and, oh, you know, he did a wonderful job bombing the Syrian government. Gee, you know, they're trying to over actively overthrow the Syrian government and how horrible it is that he's using allegedly using chemical weapons on his own people. And this is a human rights of a violation and it's an atrocity. You know, when it's when it's ultimately a war. One could make the argument one is more righteous and the other than the other side and so forth. But ultimately, it's a war. And this is public knowledge that on one side, you have the government, Assad, who's not a very good person, not a very nice person from what I heard. But also the other side, which is a, a ragtag, you have the side that the Americans are supporting, go figure, that are ISIS related. You have, you know, a lot of the, the, the non-ISIS members, related members have fled Syria. So it's almost like it's ISIS. If you want to boil it down, it's ISIS fighting the government. And that's the side that we've hitched our wagon to. So it, it's. Th this is where we're at right now. You know, you don't get to sit up there and play the moral. Oh, this morally outrageous. When it's a war, ultimately on both sides. These are religious fundamentalists going at the government. 
This is who we supposedly hate and despise and want to see toppled and overthrown. We don't then get to turn around and, well, you know, hey, separating kids from their family at the border to teach them a lesson, then that's, that's accurate and appropriate. You know, for, uh, for un, you know, un, you know, uh, no sight and near as far as like how long these kids are kept from their parents. We don't, we don't, uh, that, that's, that's perfectly acceptable because, you know, they broke the law. You can justify just about any shitty thing that you want to justify. Right. And just because, you know, it's like it goes without saying, just because thing happens, it's like equivalent of Hammurabi's code. You know, like most people that that was, uh, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, one of the first like, you know, actual laws and, and law codes. Right. Um, you know, sack sanctions of law and punishment. But, you know, you steal something, you get your hand cut off. That's like saying, well, you know, that's proportionate. Hey, you know, you stole someone's watch. So, you know, the hand that you stole the watch with, you should get it cut off because, hey, you broke the law. You stole the watch. What, what the hell does that even mean? Right. So, you know, that's what the conservatives do. But nonetheless, we need to continue what we do on the ground level. We need to continue what, you know, the, the work and not get complacent on these sub these subjects that we think we're just so progressive and this is past us gay rights. Oh, you know, it's 2018. It's not 1971. Racial justice, criminal justice. There are people that are still living in their mind in a time where you know, that's just what it was. And they want to go back to that time. They want to conserve that time. They nostalgize that time. So you have to keep that in mind. Baby boomers are dying off. The baby boomers are getting older. Millennials, we're the biggest voting block. But, you know, as of, I think now at this point, but not by much. And if we're complacent and we let shit, you know, just we let our foot off the gas or we let our foot off, off the neck, and we just make assumptions that, ah, you know, it'll just work itself out. You have a, a, a very huge population that want to go back to the 1960s and 1950s, pre-civil rights movement. They like 1970s America. You know, they like that. They want to go back. They want to ban abortion in all contexts. This is what they want. They want marijuana. They think it's terrible that marijuana is legal in Colorado and legal in California. What about the children? It's wrong for the children to look at these, this behavior. This is what they want. They want violent video games banned. This is what they want. This is their ideology. And if you don't like, you know, come out and you're like, no, fuck you. If you're not like, listen, your time has passed. 
We're in 2018 going into 2019. We're not in 19, you're nostalgizing 1982. The way things were in 1982. I like how I could say the N-word back in those days and, and I'm not going to be shamed. We're just a bunch of pansies, you know? I can make, say racially insensitive things and make racially insensitive jokes and that was cool. It ain't cool anymore. So, you know, we have to keep that in mind. We have to, you know, keep, keep all of that in mind. So at the end of the day, you know, that, that's, that's ultimately, you know, that, that lesson is, I think, crucial and it's important. Another thing I learned uh, in the last two years is the, the cult of personality phenomenon is real and it's scary as hell. I'm a big history buff. I'm, I'm you know, I, I read about history. I like listening to podcasts about history. I, I, I love it. And, you know, one of the most fascinating things, in my opinion, when exam history is examining leaders, right? I mean, that's typically the lens in which we look at societies and civilizations. We, we never, we typically don't get the point of view or of the citizens, right? We, we typically get more or less the overview. We get information on the world leader. And that's typically how history is, is recorded. And it's recorded amongst um, ultimately it's, it's recorded through the lens of the particular, um, leader. So for me, it was always very interesting to examine the, the Julius Caesars, right? The, um, the Cleopatras, the, uh, King Tut's, the, the Joseph Stalin, the Adolf Hitler's and not so much examining and, and, you know, when I say fascinating, not condoning, absolutely not, but just really examining what was their appeal? What, what could honestly, in a time, in a time, let's say I'll use um, Stalin or I'll use Hitler, for example, you, you ask yourself these psychological or these philosophical questions in a time period, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, not that long ago. We have people on this earth right now that lived during that time. So it's not, we're not talking ancient history where you can attribute these atrocities to like human beings not being very enlightened and, and cultural and based upon time period. This is within the lifespan of people who are still alive to this day. So you ask yourself, you know, how in the world could, for all intents and purposes, a modern-ish society, Germany, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're not talking, you know, I think it's easy for people to, to uh, you know, dismiss certain countries, well, that's, you know, how those people are, right? So we're talking about Germany, a Western European nation. How in the world 
Could you have a man like Adolf Hitler and the SS gain prominence, the Nazis, essentially become dictator and basically, you know, become this disfigure attempt to essentially rule over all of Europe, to conquer all of Europe, and to ultimately set up concentration camps for their citizens, Jewish citizens, to be essentially worked to death or to just outright be killed. You ask yourself, how? How? And then you tell yourself, you pacify yourself and you tell yourself like, this is, this is history. We've learned from this. And we're not going to be susceptible, excuse me, susceptible to a cult of personality. We see this again, world dictators in, in the Middle East. We see this with, you know, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. We've seen this with dictators in, in South America. We've seen this with Fidel Castro in Cuba. Where an individual's personality in itself becomes some sort of sick, perverted, um, uh, sick, perverted sort of political stance in a sense. So instead of politics, keeping it clean, well, not clean, but keeping it political, keeping it policy based, keeping it, uh, you know, concrete, right? Because politics is about policy. We're worried about, well, you know, I like the way I like Trump and I like his attitude towards the liberal media. I like Trump and I like what he has to say about liberals. I like what Trump has to say about Democrats. I like what Trump has to say about the quote unquote establishment, even though he is the establishment, has been a part of the establishment. And, you know, he's been a millionaire his whole life. Eventually, some would say a billionaire. So. You look at the, the susceptibility. That a lot of us. Have now again. I bring up the the Adolf Hitler, the the Joseph Stalin comparisons, the Julius Caesar comparisons. I'm not I'm not I'm using that as an analogy. I'm not comparing Trump to these people because I hear people saying, "Well, it's it's a straw man, and you're straw manning, and it's it's bipartisan." No, I, I I'm I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna say that because it would be dishonest, intellectually dishonest, if I, if I made a claim like that. However, you know, it, it's very hard for me and it's very hard for people who are, um, you know, objective on the situation to acknowledge that Trump is a cult of personality, right? Trump is a cult of personality. Now, one could say, well, What's wrong with with liking certain, you know, personality and and certain attributes and and liking that in your leader? That's all well and good. However, you can't, you know, it's one thing to do that. 
but it's another thing to, to turn around and, you know, you're just like forgetting all about the policy or mostly about the policy. You don't know how many Trump supporters, you know, somebody that I work with, Trump supporter. He was, you know, politics came up, Trump came up and he's like, he's smiling like he's just like giddy, like a like a child, like a little child talking about Trump. And, oh, you know, I I just love the way he just he attacks the media and I love the way he talks to the media. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, that's all well and good. How is that translating to, um, you know, millions of, of Americans who are suffering financially, wage stagnation? How does this translate to, uh, you know, job opportunities? How does this translate to, I don't get it, addressing the opiate, uh, you know, public health crisis? How does this address any of this? How does this address our, our failing infrastructure? How? How does it address the fact that, you know, millions, three up to upwards of, I believe I, I've read somewhere, three million Americans under Donald Trump due to his, uh, you know, his, let's just say, de, de-emphasis on Obamacare even though he hasn't been able to fully repeal it, he's certainly taken some of the the teeth out of Obamacare. Three million Americans lost health insurance. I I believe more, it may be a little bit more. How does that address any of that? So, you know, is is it good if you like that kind of thing? You know, which I would argue that 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 this, I guess, willingness for, for these conservatives, it's just really weird to, to be all about freedom and, you know, all constitutional and and, you, you know, it's 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 you're you're so hell bent on freedom, freedom, freedom. But then you like somebody that is essentially an, uh, is authoritarian in nature. So, I, you know, for me, strong men, quote unquote, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to threaten world leaders on Twitter and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the strong man and I'm going to, that doesn't impress me. Right. I think for a lot of people, it, it's appealing. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's a way for them to. Um, make sense of a, of a very confusing world. It adds a peace of mind to individuals. You know, I think for a lot of people, they love that the law and I'm the law and order guy. That was Trump's thing. I'm the law and order guy. Law and order guy. These are the same people that are like, uh, uh, upset and talk about the government taking, taking the guns and, and they're afraid. Big government, no. Evil, big government, no. But you, you let, you know, somebody who you, I guess, philosophically align with 
you let them speak that way. Very, very um, authoritarian. That's no good. That's no good. So it's scary that in today's day and age, you have individuals that are willing to put policy aside or put policy on the back burner. And that's secondary because it's not about policy. It's the way he makes me feel. Now, conservatives, one of the biggest things, right, Ben Shapiro, and you have a lot of these conservative pundits who talk about facts over feelings. Right? It's facts over feelings. It's not about how you feel about a world leader or feel about a particular policy. It's the way in which it's the, the data, it's the facts. And, you know, facts, facts over feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. Yet you have millions of, of, of Trump supporters who rely on the feeling they have for somebody. And they, they love the, oh, he's funny. He's charismatic. He's, um, you know, he's, he's a quote unquote, no nonsense guy. Now, there, there's a whole lot of evidence, which, you know, I can save, I'll save for another episode. It's too much for me to even go into where I can point to he's a, a snake oil salesman. That's why all of that shit doesn't impress me. All of that, like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to bring the jobs back and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this. And I'm. You should be worried. Now, I get it. Politicians make proclamations all the time on the campaign trail. But when you offer yourself up like you're the you're the the alpha, the omega, you're the beginning, you're the end, you're the you're the savior. And you have people who are like hell bent and 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 almost like sycophants. It's shameful. You have people I I saw this and I mentioned this in in a previous episode you had people, I was watching like, um, um, you know, one of Trump's rallies. This is already when he had became president. And you had grown adults, grown adults, adults that, you know, in their 50s, 60s, wearing Trump, Daddy Trump t-shirts. What? Now, again, that's not I'm not trying to make the comparison to Stalin or I'm not trying to make the comparison because it would be intellectually dishonest. It's not true. And it it would it's straw man. It's I wouldn't say I wouldn't make that proclamation. However, I would say that it, it becomes deeply troublesome and deeply worrying. Trump's not your daddy. Trump is a a civil servant. Trump is supposed to represent the American people domestically and abroad. So, I mean, I guess this is the answer. 
because it was always my thought, right? And, and, and again, I'm not, it, I was never that naive to suggest that perhaps, you know, the idea of a cult of personality, that, you know, strong man, quote unquote, that um, the uh, American people were above it, or that it's impossible for that to happen in today's world. But it is eye-opening to the amount of people that subscribe to that. Now, I can look at like my own side of the political aisle because, you know, you may have people that may listen to this and they may say, man, John, John, man, you're, you're, you're very, um, you're just biased. You know, you're, you're bipartisan. You're obviously a libtard and blah, 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 blah. Right. I would say even if Bernie Sanders came into office, right. If Bernie Sanders came into office, and Bernie Sanders is, is speaking like that. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm the savior. You know, can't take a joke. Very uh, impetuous. Snaps at the media. Let's say he snapped at conservatives. Let's say he lashed out at conservatives. That's not really what I'm worried about. Why is that a, some sort of like crown jewel? He's a politician. He is, his job is to promote policies that, that help the American people. I like Bernie Sanders and I like this platform because of his platform. I didn't like Bernie Sanders because, oh, I like the way he made me feel. I like the fact that he's, you know, a balding, balding old Jewish guy and he's, he's, you know, bad posture and he has weird hair and I like the character of Bernie Sanders. I was, a, I'd like Bernie Sanders because I liked what he had to say a lot of topics. He was saying things that a lot of politicians uh, were not saying or didn't have the balls to say, policy related. Going after the media is not policy related. There's nothing policy related. Calling somebody a horse face on Twitter is not policy related. Calling out world leaders is not policy related. It's, it's not only is it immature, but I mean, what does that have to do with anything? We need to stop, you know? It's like, I get it. People are afraid. It's, it's a really, really tough time, right? If you're a conservative in this country, think about it. Not only are you battling, you know, the, the, the idea of the war on terror, right? You're, this is post 9-11. You're, you're scared to death. You're scared to death. One of the, the, the biggest on, on the campaign trail when interviewing Trump supporters, one of the biggest, most common um, things that p 
people latched on to other than the, the bravado and the Trump attitude and is, well, you know, we like, we like what he has to say on, um, you know, immigration. We like what he has to say. He's law and order. I, I like that. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel, you know, comfortable. Even though these these were not necessarily, he never really outlined anything policy-wise that, you know, other than a ban, which you can't do constitutionally. But you look at it and it was almost as if the posturing, it was the attitude, it was the bravado, it made me feel safe, it made me sleep well at night. And it's scary. It's a scary, scary phenomenon. It's scary to me that so many people are, are terrified. Terrified. Right? But, you know, that, that's where we're at right now. It is horrifying the amount of people that are, you know, susceptible to that. The bravado, the, you know, it's just like, I mean, whatever you, you like, you like, you know, people who are brag, who brag every two seconds and, and, you know, they, they talk in the first person and whatever. That's your thing. But to, to, to use that as like a prerequisite or to use that as just, you know, well, that's what I want in my politician. That's scary. That is frightening. So, I, I, you know, I, it's very, very, it's crazy to think about. Another thing that I, you know, lesson or observation I had and, and, you know, when it comes to um, the, you know, current, current state that we're in, in, in the last two years is victimology, right? But victimology on the right, I think. The conservatives in this country, think about it. The conservatives have won the majority of the governments, the, excuse me, the governors, the majority governors in the country. They, you know, hold, uh, they hold the House, they hold the Senate, they are the majority on the Supreme Court. Trump is filling more and more federal judges by the minute. The administration is far right wing. And it's incredible to me the amount, even with all of that, you have, you know, and, and these are the same people that complain about Democrats, right? They complain about people of color. Oh, you guys are victims. You guys love playing the victim. Victimology. Victim, victim, victim. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Right? Stop complaining. You got it good here. Yet, I've never heard so much bitching and complaining 
from a group of people. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable to me. These people are, you know, it's just ridiculous. The media is after us. Hollywood is after us. SNL is after us. How thin-skinned do you have to be? It's embarrassing. SNL has made jokes about every president since it's been on the air. They've done skits about Barack Obama. They've done skits about uh, uh, Clinton, um, Bill Clinton. They've done skits about George Bush, George H. Bush, George W. Bush. Yet now we're supposed to sit up there and talk about, oh, the liberals and, and they're, they're unfair and it's, it's messed up and it's, that's scary. That a comedy show that mocks every single presidency, every last one, mocks it. Bill Clinton was mocked merciful, mercifully about his, his, you know, alleged affairs and Monica Lewinsky and he was made fun of. It was referenced. You can't undeniably, objectively look at this administration and be like, yeah, you know, this administration is, uh, you know, there's not, there's no material there. You're, you're grasping at straws. What kind of victim bullshit is that? Which is it? Did you vote for him? Which I heard a lot of people. Oh, I like, I want him because he's not a politician and he's going to shake up the, uh, the Washington, D.C. and the elites and, and he's going to shake up Washington and drain the swamp and he's unlike any other politician we've ever had. Or is it, well, you know, he, there should be a, a level of decorum and it's not fair to make fun of him and when every other person has been made fun of. Talk about a cult of personality. You know where, you know, that, that stuff is, isn't welcome and world leaders get pissed off and, and world leaders may take action, you know, against people who, may, who mock and make fun of the uh, administration. Erdogan in Turkey. Putin in Russia. Jim, um, um, uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. It's like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying Trump is, you know, sending, you know, SNL cast members to the, to the gulag. But it, it's still absolutely mind boggling and ridiculous that that's even a, a conversation. That's scary. Psychologically, that's frightening. Frightening. And people have fallen for it hook, line, and sinker. But you know what? This situation has really made me appreciate, or the situation in general has really made me think. I don't want to hear shit about, um, uh, you know, conservatives talking about thin-skinned progressives. Safe spaces, trigger warning. Like, I don't want to hear none of that. Because you voted in a guy... 
And you, you know, at the very least, even if you didn't vote for him, you were complicit and didn't call him out. A guy that that threatened to, you know, crack down on the meat on the press. That's a huge red flag. And a huge, a huge um, red flag on on, uh, First Amendment, freedom of speech. Right. A guy who who sued or I believe he almost sued the onion. For a satire piece. This is the guy who's supposed to be the strong man and I'm the tough guy and I'm going around calling Rosie O'Donnell ugly and a pig and I'm busy doing this and I'm busy saying this on Twitter and call him. Meanwhile, you, you know, you, you, you dish it, but then you can't take it. Rapper T.I. T.I. does a, does a, I guess he did some video with the lookalike, a Melania Trump lookalike. And, you know, supposedly, you know, the, the lookalike was naked in, in, a, in a mock faux White House. And, you know, she supposedly, CNN reported it, CNN is, um, was saying that she was offended. She's offended by this. How could you do this? Right? Boycott T.I., right? So, yeah, because there's so many Trump supporters that listen to, to T.I., <laughs> Right. So many, so many of these like 55 year old white guys from like the Midwest or 50, you know, 60 year old white guys from like somewhere in Bumblefuck, New Jersey. Yeah, they're they're listening to T.I. But nonetheless. It, you know, you, you, you sit there and supposedly they're offended and I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, Donald Trump and the administration is offended. Don't throw stones don't throw stones. Don't start none, won't be none. I don't ever remember. You can say whatever you want about Barack Obama. I've had my criticisms of Barack Obama, but you cannot say one thing as far as him going on Twitter or just flat out calling people second grade names. Not to say he's never joked. I'm not saying, you know, you can't joke around, but you know, you can't sit there and call people names, literal names, make fun of a intellectually disabled person at one of your rallies, promote yourself as the tough guy. I'm the hard ass. And then turn around and, and get offended when SNL mocks you on their show. Which is it? Are you the tough guy? Or are you not the tough guy? Do you you want to go down that path? Then don't call out other people. Because it's open season. Unless you want it to turn into, again, a totalitarian government. We say whatever we want to say. But as long as you, you know, you, you criticize the administration or you say something about the administration that we don't like. We're going to go after you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to make sure that you never do that again. We're going to make your life a living hell. We'll execute you. It's absolutely incredible. And that's what I said about a cult of personality. 
because his supporters would, would never see it. You know, people loved themselves some Obama. But I don't know if you would have as many people if Obama was doing what Trump did and rallying, you know, after right after he became president, doing rally, thank you, quote unquote, thank you rallies. It's almost sycophantic in a sense. It's, it's horrifying. Horrifying. You know, you look at like uh, Obama's sloganing change. You didn't see people like, you know, outside of, you know, when when within a year or, you know, when when Barack was first elected in 2008. You didn't see that many people, you know, people walking around, even people who voted for Barack Obama vote, you know, wearing like, yes, we can T-shirts and wearing yes, we can hats or change shirts. Some people did. But it's almost like some sycophantic bullshit that I don't like. I don't like sycophants on both sides. I don't like sycophant liberals. I don't care if you're you're a sycophant and you're a liberal and I don't give a shit. I don't like sycophants. I like people who who are able to dissociate the fact that, okay, I get it. There's a component of temperament that needs to that you can like kind of look at. Everyone has their different criteria when when judging the effectiveness of a world leader. But to use that as the only thing and to use that as, you know, your your grade as far as him as a president is absolutely catastrophically ridiculous. All right. So. That that's one thing, victimology, I don't want to ever hear anything about the, the Democrats or, you know, the left or the progressive. I don't want to ever hear anything about this idea or this notion that victimology is prevalent there and victimology is not on the right. Because, you know, as you see, the holidays are coming up. We're already in the middle of October without fail. I know it. Trump's going to tweet in the next, you know, six weeks or so about, you know, the war on Christmas and Christmas cups and why don't they say Merry Christmas and it's a war on Christianity and where it, it's going to be without fail. It's going to be, you know, that's what it's, it's going to be. And it's going to be a big time Fox News segment. They're going to have several segments on Fox News and it's just going to be a big wine fest about how although 90 percent of the American people identify as Christians, the vast majority of all leaders are Christian all of our presidents previously have been Christian. Of course, you know, they're going to fall back, play the victim role. And there we go again. Because, you know, there, there's no shortage of Christians in power. There are no shortages of Christians with money, who are Christians with influence. And that we don't, you know, vastly, mostly uh, uh, or look at or observe Christian holidays, Christian practices, Christian traditions even though this is supposed to be by on its face value, a secular nation. So again, it's pivotal to vote, pivotal. 
I say all of this in closing. Please go out and vote. Right? Please. Midterms are vastly important. And they're important because the 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 legislative branch, you know, the, the local government, statewide governments are crucial. And if anything, they they can insulate a lot of this crap. Now, if Jeff, Jeff Sessions wanted to turn around and, and, you know, your state legalizes marijuana and he's like, nope, there's not much your state can do. But there's a lot of other, you know, things your state can implement. Your local government, your city can implement to, to kind of stop the bleeding, so to speak. Doesn't do much for you know, our, our reputation domestically, it's kind of embarrassing. This whole situation is very embarrassing. It's, it's, it's not even just a matter of like, you know, feeling angry in a sense. It's more of just shame and embarrassment. It's like, we must look really stupid. You know, it's like, we already don't have a good reputation yeah, you know, but it, it it's very very, um, it, it's very important. You know, honestly, we may be you know with with these Supreme Court justices, and we may be fighting an up battle for a long time, long after Trump is gone. But. You know, this this can be a wake up call and an and, and a, a eye opener. You know, this can be something in which we can galvanize and always remember, not just 2018, 2020, 2022, 2024, 2026, special elections, presidential elections. Go out and vote. All that marching, all the protests, all of the the demonstrations, that's all well and good. If that makes you feel better, that's fine. If If it gives you peace of mind, that's fine. I've heard people make the argument about the, um, make the argument about demonstrations and all of that being a pivotal as far as uh, of uh, raising awareness. Okay, if that makes you feel better, I would much rather all of those people registering to vote and just voting. Like, you know, I saw recently 28%, you know, there there was a, a poll recently, I forgot from what school, it might have been Quinnipiac, that said that 28 or 27% of quote-unquote millennials said that they would vote, or people under the age of 35 said they would vote in the midterm. It's not good enough. Do you ever wonder why we never get policies that get that cater to us? Why is it? Why is, you know, we're the only generation with, with you know, debt we're going to die in, student loan debt we're going to die in. Why is it that we we... 
you know, we never get aid or we never get relief. None, none of our issues are ever addressed. Wage stagnation and because all of that is, you know, the baby boomers vote. They largely vote conservative. So, you know, it, it is what it is. These conservative politicians don't give a shit about student loan debt. They don't give a shit about like a lot of your grievances, programs. They don't give a shit about raising the minimum wage. They don't give a shit. They don't care. So, you know, the fact of the matter is social programs. So the fact of the matter is, is that we need to band together and we need to, uh, you know, encourage people and make sure people go out and vote. It's really the most pivotal election, more pivotal than 2008, in my opinion. It's pivotal. Because like I said, you saw how it was in in six years under the Obama regime. what What it looked like. Obama was able to get some stuff passed. But a lot of stuff wasn't wasn't able to go through or pass or whatever. It's because the Republicans controlled the House and the Republicans control the Senate for the majority of Barack Obama's presidency. We've seen what what that can do. Getting the Democrats, but getting the right Democrats, the progressive Democrats, Bernie Kratz, and positions of power, and the ones who are not on that that level, either voting them out or outright, you know, pushing them and pressuring them and shaming them into supporting the right policies, advocating for the right policies, fighting for what the majority of the people in the country want is a crucial, crucial step. And I look forward to the show in three weeks.